0: And also, I probably should mention everybody else that was in that workshop, but I only know that Sean listens, so hello again, Sean. (laughs) Hello and welcome to episode 135 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is a marketing and the F is the well you As You're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host Ian Trusker, I'm no rock star but I've picked up a thing or two over the last 20 years on my tour from sysadmin to CMO and each week I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums and share with you some marketing street knowledge that hopefully will inspire your inner rock star Come say hello, we are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network this episode was recorded on Friday, the 7th of October, 2022. Hope you had a good week and you are well safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. On this week's episode in the marketing studio, I have a fascinating chat with Jeff Clark about anthropology and marketing. I go backstage with former guest and my old boss, Grant Johnson, the CMO at Emberth, and we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar for a cocktail and a thought with Robert Rose. But first, we need to pay the bell tab. We'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back.
1: will we'll be right back. For this
0: you may know you're listening to this
2: show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy
0: Welcome to our first segment, the Martin studio with Jeff Clark, our resident Rockstar strategy advisor and former Forrester Serious Decisions Research Director. And this week is inspired by a webinar. Welcome, Jeff, to the Rockstar CMO studio with Jeff Clark. I've done it again, haven't I? <laughs> yeah, really. Sounds a bit redundant,
3: but hey, what the hell? <laughs> As long as you spell the name right in the notes, show notes, that's fine. Exactly.
0: And all the links and all that good stuff, Jeff. And say nice things about you as well. I think that's oh, what i for. Yeah, no, I, give them, I try. I try. So <laughs> this week, uh, we are going to be talking about storytelling, one of our effing marketing fundamentals. And I understand that you've been inspired by a webinar called The Hidden Meanings Shaping Consumer Interest in Sustainability by anthropologist, and I'm going to get this completely wrong, even though we rehearsed it already, Ashval Arkagud. I think I got that awesome. right. Awesome. Yeah, well, luckily, I don't think he's a listener. So uh, EVP and group director, your friends at Lux Research. I know you know a few of the folks over there. Um, and
3: worth people having a look at what Lux Research are doing, isn't it, if they're interested in sustainability, I think. Yeah, I mean, they they certainly, I mean, they're an advisory firm, and they so they, mm-hmm. they they're... Focus is broader than sustainability, but i oh, right. okay. I went to a, a, you know a little conference that they held, and then mm-hmm. you know have sort of like and I, whether it's on um, you know LinkedIn or otherwise mm-hmm. I see these little blurbs pop up and so uh, yeah. but my interest in you know renewable energy sustainability et etc uh, yeah. I, I see as I see a certain set of their stuff, but they they do a pretty broad range of topics oh, okay. that they do advisory on. Yeah, maybe
0: we should have one of them on the show one time. Anyway, so that's yeah. Lux Research. And and so, as I was mentioning, we talk about good storytelling and connection with our buyers and our effing marketing fundamentals. And Ashval, I've got that right again, that's amazing. Yes. Re- refers to sustainability in that webinar. Um, but you believe it's something we can all learn from. So how can anthropolo- anthropology <laughs> help us? What say you, Jeff? Well,
3: <laughs> well I am... Uh, I. I don't know. I'm always intrigued when there's when there's something that comes in from a, a, a an area of study that that you know you would think has nothing mm. to do with you know whatever mm. whether it's marketing or other areas and then yeah. it's like oh wow yeah. this yeah, is yeah. really interesting but you know I mean we certainly know I, I at least I believe. And most of our listeners would know that it's like, you know, as much as we like to think of ourselves as rational beings um, mm-hmm. and we make rational decisions. And, you know, when particularly mm-hmm. we're in business to business, you know, we got to gather our yeah, facts yeah. and yeah. we have to, uh, you know, do our, our due diligence and make a rational choice. That really, there's lots of other things at play in our brains mm-hmm. that uh, help us make those decisions
0: right right and i understand that one of the topics that, that, that came through from that webinar was about real trends and fads and how anthropology can help separate those was that yep, yep. i mean that seems to be something that came through right
3: yeah and 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 so i mean he particularly focused on um you know sustainable products or you know sort of like mm-hmm. in, in sort of the broad category of of uh, products that are trying to uh, market themselves, or I shouldn't say trying to, but are marketing themselves as being sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so what he does is he kind of digs into the, um, and there's a a little play of different words that mean somewhat the same thing. So implicit meanings, Mm -hmm. beliefs, sometimes he calls Mm -hmm. them um, micro-trends, because people will associate certain things with, in this case, sustainable solutions that help them either mm. drive to purchase it, or they're willing to pay the premium. You know, I'm willing to pay the extra money for that Tesla because it is mm. giving me a feeling uh, or satisfying a particular belief I have that um, yes. that I'm I'm you know I'm doing something good for the world. But there's yes. other things that are buying behind, behind their purchase decision other than I'm just doing something good for the world.
0: Right, right, and I yes. Um, I need to say hello to one of my colleagues now, Sean, who was in a branding workshop I did this week. <laughs> because we were we were talking a lot about feelings and I think that's what's coming through, isn't it, yeah. from this anthropological work? Is yeah. um and and so when you say I mean, just to drill a little bit into that question, the real trends from fads, are you saying that real trends are driven by these deeper feelings that people have and, it, and fads have kind of come and go?
3: I mean they have kind of this um you know, what, what they, their term is an ice bar mm-hmm. iceberg model of meaning. And so there's this element of logical decision-making that, you know, features yep. functions, or, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get something accomplished. So therefore I'm looking for something to help me accomplish that. And then yep. below that, um, and if you think about the iceberg, it gets wider and wider as you go further down. It's like, there's a set of mm-hmm. core beliefs. So there's, so there's some things that the buyer, um, you know, believes that are more, um, uh, you know they 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 exist for a longer period of time, and then there are things right. below that that are uh, more transient. So they call that current manifest manifestations. And so when you take, um, like in the case that he was going really you know, sustainability, and then you talk about mm-hmm. well, what are some of those belief systems, yeah. and what are, and now can we look at what are those beliefs um, that are um, that are you know have a long long term life lifespan and what what could be mm-hmm. fleeting because what could certainly what could changes in culture what could changes in economics all of a sudden make right. something that you know like if 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 you know all of a sudden you know healthier lifestyle or cultural authenticity was something you're you, you think you're uh, is going to connect mm-hmm. with you i mean something might you know click in, in the in the market, and all of a sudden, okay, that I'm going to put that aside, and I'm going to actually focus on right. something else. You know, obviously, if we're right. all going to Armageddon, you know, there'll be, <laughs> there'll be things that are more important yeah. than cultural authenticity. Yeah, 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 yeah. and. Yeah, s- I,
0: I'm- I oh, just go need, ahead. To interrupt, I need to interrupt a second there because we're really not laughing at the prospects of Armageddon. Oh, <laughs> no, we're not. Became, Sorry. I suddenly became conscious last week that we were talking about Hurricane Ian being named after me. And I was laughing my head off while Florida was being flattened. So I need to apologize yes. to any listeners in Florida that felt that was insensitive. But <laughs> just as a serious note. And also, I probably should mention everybody else that was in that workshop, but I only know that Sean listens. So, hello again, <laughs> Sean. <I> know, so, <laughs> so, so this so this works really about um, so because we in B two B we're always talking about features and functions. So, what we're talking about, you're talking about here, is is the meaning for somebody of of the of that right and the yeah. um, and the feelings that they ascribe to that meaning. Yeah. Is that is that what we're talking about?
3: Yeah. Here? And so, if you if if you you know if you look at your buyer. Or and mm-hmm. or and the 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 various personas in B two B the various personas that are part of your buying you know audience out there yeah. and you'd say so what are the yeah. things that are you know the beliefs that they may have that that mm-hmm. that are going to cause them to um, to purchase products or services mm-hmm. and so in, in the case of sustainability he talks about you know escaping consumerism cultural mm-hmm. authenticity healthier lifestyles social status you know I'm doing yes. things that are good so therefore I have status. Yeah, yeah uh also yeah. staying technology technologically relevant and so yeah. you can if you're selling something that that again is is either new and is trying to crack into a market or you're mm-hmm. selling something that has a premium and you're trying to get people to basically justify that premium you you dig into yeah. these these belief systems you understand what's more mature than others because yeah. again some of these may be fleeting and then and then as you design your product because this is kind of a whole product view mm-hmm. you design your product you design your go to market you design the way you talk about it the storytelling to yeah. basically communicate to those and so right. you know and and in anyone who gets a chance to listen to the, um, the pre-recorded or the, or the webcast, you know, they'll say he mm-hmm. goes through a bunch of examples, you know, like Tesla is um, certainly there's an element of um, healthy lifestyle, but there's also a real element of social status and staying technologically relevant. Oh, here's the new car that's coming out. Oh, yeah. and it gives me status. He also yeah, talks yeah. about Stella McCartney, so we're t- we're in rock and roll. She's Paul McCartney's daughter, and she's <laughs> yeah. got this fashion line all together now. And it's both yeah. p- appealing to status, high end luxury, but also healthier lifestyle because you know the sourcing of all the materials is you know mm-hmm. sustainable, low footprint, uh, yada yada yada. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like yeah. I'm buying something that's at a premium, but I can feel good about it because of the way yeah. the products are being made.
0: I like that, and um, particularly those examples that you were sharing there about escaping com- com- consumerism, cultural authenticity. All those are what the brand um, says about you as the buyer, right? So mm-hmm. you're you're overlaying your own feelings about yourself on you know of what this brand says about you, if if that makes sense, yeah.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and so that's the. And- yeah. Oh and I was just going to say and and the and the I mean the important thing is to realize that that as you get, dig deeper into some of these yeah. belief systems is that is that you really need to this is where market research and doing your your mm-hmm. investigation is to you know why are people buying and and you know I started yeah. you know I took some examples and I started trying to dig into you know why people are buying certain products and it's like you know you yeah. really you really got to dig because um, you know some of the analysts or whatever or the you know industry magnets uh, influencers may may understand this it it may not be so mm-hmm. clear you may need to do a little bit of your own research which is what right. the fellows at the uh, Lux Research were doing is that they were taking these individual belief systems interviewing people and seeing where on a maturity curve things are before they can reach either mainstream awareness or you know ah, or or, okay. or the full adoption of the products, so once the products right. are adopted is in the mainstream, it's like you don't have to worry as much about right. these um, you know these right. things because they become part of everybody's life.
0: Right. So I mean, we were talking about that last week, weren't we? The um, the Gartner the hype adoption. cycle hype cycle absolutely so it seems to me and also there's that adoption model isn't there of um you know early adopters the main and so so it's interesting these, these concepts coming together doesn't it i mean we often talk about branding and we talk about the feelings that the brand creates and the things the brand says about the buyer but also interestingly it might be different things in the different stages of the hype cycle or the different stages of their adoption. Yeah. I think, you know, so these, so as
3: something comes in as a, as a totally new idea, and if you think about Mm -hmm. the hype cycle and, and, and so as people are communicating about it and it's gaining traction and everyone's, so everyone's talking about it from the analysts to the, to the buyers, you know, it goes up that hype cycle. But then if, if some things do not pan out and this is where being, you know, honest and, and, of course, in the case yeah. of sustainability, not being greenwashing, being honest about what the product delivers and how yeah. you're communicating it is that you don't want to fall into the trough of just disillusionment yeah, because yeah. either some of these um, beliefs may be, again, maybe more fleeting and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and are all, all of a sudden not relevant, or you just right. haven't been able to get that adoption above that 5, 10, 15% of the market so that it's got a long term trajectory. Right.
0: <laughs> right and so um is this i mean tesla seems to get used as an example for just about any avant-garde marketing or or product innovation example but you talked about Stella McCartney's fashion brand um is it is it more of a b2b thing do you think about brand uh, connectivity or do you think it's just as relevant for us in b2b that people need to have these feelings for us
3: i mean i think it 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 is there's a clear um connection in in consumer products. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that it's definitely relevant for, um, you know, for any type of, Absolutely. you know, new product and service. And the, of course the complication is in B2B. Typically there's more than one percha- person making the purchasing yeah. decision. So you, you, th- you think about, you know, there's, there's the marketer uh, mm-hmm. and then there might be the marketer's boss, the CMO, and then there might be the guy in sales and the guy in it yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, you know, it's figuring that out for each persona to the, mm. at least to a level of which you can, um, action upon it and it makes sense is, is, um, is kind of necessary. But, you know, this is part of, you know, building your personas. You know, who is your persona? Yeah. You know, what are their triggers? What are their yeah. pain points? Yeah. What, you know, so let's add to that. What are their kind of beliefs in terms of what they're, they're trying to do? So I, I mean, I, yeah. I was thinking through because, I think it was just two weeks ago we were talking about customer data platforms and it's mm-hmm. like, well could we actually think about what are some of the implicit meanings that mm-hmm. are uh, that would uh, as mm-hmm. me as a marketer say yeah. a customer data platform is would be of interest and obviously mm-hmm. you know three plus years ago it was new, so now it is mm-hmm. not as new you know it is it is yeah. gained a certain level of maturity but if I think back. Yeah. You know, again, three or four years ago, it's like, you know, there was certainly an element of staying technologically relevant, you know. So some of the things that, you know, we talked about sustainability, you know, they apply here. Gaining peer status, you know, Uh, and then things that, you know, I think marketers have been striving for for, you know, much longer, you know, delivering insights, you know, to the business, Mm -hmm. delivering a total customer experience to the customer becoming a partner with sales. I mean, I think these are all implicit meanings that we need to talk to and think about. Well, what does that, yeah. what's this mean in terms of bad? this product and service? What does that mean for the marketer? What are they thinking? Yeah.
0: I just want to rewind a, a bit on that persona thing. Cause I think it's really interesting because when I'm approaching personas, I, I, we've, I mean, we probably did some back in the day together when, when we were, when we were working the same team. Um, but I've cut my the way that I've refined that particular part of what I do is I'm incredibly focused on needs right so I'll I'll build personas based on needs and I won't worry too much about job title or role or anything like that and then I find that I have much fewer personas because we're not you know trying to create all these different personas based on job title industry and all that kind of stuff and that and because also, because I'm usually taking the content marketing approach, so I'm thinking about the content we need to produce because I can't control who consumes it, right, so I need to I need to build some content for the people that have needs because they're risk averse but what I think's interesting here is you're talking about not needs as much but also about feelings, right, and they're feeling towards. Your category is that the sort of thing we need to try and capture in these personas. How do they feel about this kind of purchase or this category? Or yeah, I that? think
3: I, I think if you if you think back to the which is it's always hard when you're trying to describe a uh, uh, you know a model a model that has that has more like a three dimensional or two dimensional view of it and it's like so if you yeah. think back to that iceberg model the the yeah. needs are initially expressed as that logical you know uh, yes. they have problem you know, they have to solve a problem and they're they're typically going to solve it a certain way. Um, And then you get down to the core beliefs, which is, okay, the person who's going to try to solve that problem, um, so let's say the champion, uh, is there's things that they want to accomplish within their organization or things that they want to accomplish that are just like, that are more core to making them feel good about the job they're doing. And then there's the And then there's, you know, the, the, the current manifestation of those beliefs, which is, oh, you know, I could use, so if a core belief is I wanted to provide, um, you know, a single view of the customer to an organization, I mean, I could have, I mean, I did try to attempt to do that um, (laughs) 10, 12 years ago uh, before customer data platforms existed. And then, so, oh, so what's the current manifestation of that relative to that, that belief and yeah. and how mature is that? You know, is that something yeah. that we uh trying to sell this product can actually yeah. deliver to the um to the customer so therefore we mm-hmm. could own that that you know single view of the customer to to the organization. Um yeah. and and so as I think, you know, through some of these implicit means relating to like the you know the the C D P example, it's like, you know, you know, again, there, there are things we were trying to solve. And so now here's the next generation of tools. Um, and so if I'm really trying to stay relevant, you know, then I may, maybe I need to hop on this because otherwise I'm going to be left trying to solve it in, in, uh, you know, in, in the old way. And, um, you know, and if, if gaining status is important to me, and I remember when we were, when I was at mm. uh, Pegasystems and a lot of the way we were selling to the champions for our products was that, you know, you get a chance to you get a chance to speak at the conference. You get a chance, yeah, to, you know, yeah. we will help make yeah. you, you know, yeah. a a leader in your mm. market because because you're you're be yeah. that you're you're the person who was so successful in doing this. So, yeah. So there's there's ways. Again, this is like just, you know, digging down to that next level to saying, how are we going to appeal and talk to yeah. people about these, you know, giving meaning so, to the way they're solving their right. problem with their needs.
0: Yeah. So, so we go really going beyond the needs of the persona, that logical step that you said was at the tip of the iceberg, but really thinking about how we can help them in a deeper way. With some of their other motivations that may be outside of what our product or service does. Uh, well, really and if you, again, if
3: you think about it from a whole product perspective, how are they going to feel yeah. once they've um, yeah yeah they bought it, they implement it, they're using yeah. it, you know. Yeah. So how how are they going to feel about this, and is it actually satisfying these deeper needs in addition to just you know I I I sold them product A and they plugged it in a in a in a stack and now they're they're off and running and.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's brilliant. I, lo- I love that idea. And I would encourage people to go listen to this webinar. It's called The Hidden Meanings, Shaping Consumer Interest and Sustainability. It's by anthropologist <laughs> Ashval <laughs> Arkagud, who's the EPP and Group Director at Lux Research. And we will include a link to it on YouTube. So we believe you can probably find it on YouTube if you're looking for it. And uh, we have one final agenda general item, Jeff. Uh, what song are we going to play out with
3: today? We're going to play out on the song Fashion uh, by David Bowie back in 1980, because um, uh, Mr. Bowie was uh, um, sort of stepping back and uh, sort of taking a look at the fashion world. And mm. uh, and uh, there's a, a line in it, there's a new brand talk, there's a brand new talk But it's not very clear, which makes me think, you know, you need to be clear and relevant when you're talking to your customers about the products you're selling them and the way they're going to feel once they purchase them.
0: That's brilliant. Yeah, there was no argument for me on this song this week. Um, And I'll give a
3: shout out to the new uh, Bowie movie, Munaj Daydream, which uh, I thought was (laughs) excellent and also (laughs) helped remind me of uh, that body of work when I was looking for a song. (laughs)
0: I also noticed that we 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 didn't bother with the weather this week, and I'm scene.
3: it's very nice because,
0: here. <laughs> is it? It's oh, quite nice here as well. Oh, jolly good! All right then, and um, so I'll play out with "Fashion" by David Bowie from 1980, and uh, will I return and find you in the Jeff Park <laughs> <Masters laughs> studio <laughs> next
3: week? Meet you back in the studio.
0: <laughs> Cheers, buddy. I'll see you then. Jeff, a classic tune there with fashion by David Bowie from 1980 and a fascinating topic. I'll include a link to that webinar by Lux Research that we refer to in the show notes, plus all of Jeff's links. And if you have any thoughts or comments, you can contact Jeff through our website at rockstarcmo.com. Right. Time to go backstage, or rather back backstage, as it's the second appearance for Grant Johnson, who is a serial CMO, currently the CMO at Ember's, He's held the top marketing job in a string of B2B companies, including Kofax, Pegasystems, SDL, and Farnet. And for his sins, Grant is a former boss of mine and gave me my first opportunity to develop this crazy idea I had for creating a content marketing function over a decade ago. A generous boss, and as you'll hear, he's taking that generosity to mentoring. Great to catch up with Grant. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi Grant, welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. Nice to talk with you again, Ian.
0: Yeah, no, great to speak to you again as well. And uh, you're a former boss of mine and mentor, so I'm always delighted to speak to you. And we had you back on the show in episode 32. So that's, what, 100, 103 episodes ago. So while I do have some regular listeners who have been around a while, uh, but for those that don't, haven't listened to all 135 episodes, tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Well, first, congratulations. That's a, a milestone, you know, crossing 100 episodes. Oh. You've got something going. Um, I'm a lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why I, I chose marketing as a career, and I've been a CMO multiple times, both at public and privately held companies since 2009. Mm-hmm. And what's been interesting, I've been part of either acquiring or merging with 20 companies, and I've also been acquired uh, seven times. <laughs> wow. I don't know if it's the lucky number. So I've seen a few things, right? I've developed both best practices to share and landmines to avoid.
0: Yes, yeah. And the nice thing is right now is you're sharing that with the world, with your with your new projects, which we'll come on to in a moment. But you're currently the CMO at Mburst. What did Mburst do? Well,
2: Mburst was brought together, uh, seven companies in uh, spend uh, space. And so we became the first company to deliver a spend optimization platform and some some call it spend management we call it spend optimization we manage all aspects of what is known as indirect spend so mm-hmm. you go places these days post covid so travel and yeah. expense right yeah. any expenses invoices you have to pay vendors yeah sometimes known as ap automation accounts payable and mm-hmm. then payments cards to just buy purchase anything sas subscriptions uh Uh, stuff for you know remote work uh, get togethers with your team and we have this great mission to humanize work which i find you know very inspiring and what we're all about is eliminating the mundane manual work that takes you away from what matters most so Mm -hmm. more important work Mm -hmm. (laughs) that actually moves the ball forward or more time with your family or or your community
0: yeah no i love it yeah. And then who doesn't want more time in their family? I love that. So the reason that I just I just mentioned just a moment ago, the reason why I want to have you back on the show, aside from it's always a joy to chat to you, Grant, was you've started mentoring CMOs and you've got a new project called CMO Mentor, which is cmomentor.com, which is a great read so far. And um, how is that going?
2: Well, it's going great. You know, as mm-hmm. I said, my fourth tour duty here is a CMO and I yeah. thought it'd be great to start sharing some of my lessons learned and, you know, invite uh, input. Uh, I do mentor uh, some, what I would call early career CMOs. So I thought I'd put some of the ideas uh, Mm. into more formal blog posts. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a great read. And one of the ones I picked out that I wanted to ask you about today is you've listed five C's for modern CMOs and any regular listener to our show knows that we love a list. I mean, you're, you're also the former boss of Jeff Clark, who's who's also a regular on this show. And Jeff and I love a list. And so tell us about those five C's for modern CMOs.
2: That's great. You know, we we love lists. We love (laughs) alliteration. Yeah. uh, You know, I was contemplating, there's another C for you. And, (laughs) you know, these are crazy times. First of all, you get COVID and and the only constant Mm. is change. Another C for you. Mm. And then, you know, now we've got the constrained economy. Are we in a recession? You know, well, we Mm. all feel pain, so it must be something. Mm-hmm. So how can a marketer maximize their input in this challenging economy? So I came up with these five C's for maximum input impact, and I, the first one was really was born out of COVID. Like I started thinking about, gosh, you know, we're not going to offices anymore, yeah, and we, uh, you know, as chief market officers, I always sort of think of myself as chief growth orchestrator, you know, chief, uh, you know, or- orchestrator. Anyway, and so how can I help the chief? People officer and the rest of the of the executive leadership team, uh, you know, engage. We we're trying to hire people, trying to retain people. So culture was really key. You, mm-hmm. you got to foster. Obviously, it starts with our vision to for us to humanize work and our values. And uh, so I helped come up with our values. Our values are another one of these uh, demonics. It's called see it. Yeah. Uh, sincerity, empathy, empowerment. Individuality and teamwork, and so we try to, you know, get this embedded in how we work, how we treat each other, what we hold, you know, sacrosanct, and so culture, you know, it really it, it, it's it's shaping the marketing team and shaping the broader organization. It's how we engage and retain. And so I just felt that was the most a good good seed to start with.
0: So, and and that's the culture, as you're saying. I mean, it's not that sort of um, brand purpose bollocks is it it's actually the culture within your team within your organization how you recruit and retain staff is what you're referring to there in terms of the cmo's role in terms of the company culture right yes it's right yeah and how we yeah. engage
2: each other, you know we're yeah. transparent you know there's no agendas these yeah. are all what's accepted yeah. behavior i've been to companies and i won't mention them where <laughs> it's accepted behavior not to treat everybody with respect to me yeah. that's unfair, right and so that's yeah. why sincerity and respect yeah. are important
0: cool and so the first C is culture what's the second C
2: coaching and of mm. course that's sort of inspired by what I love to do yeah And I uh you know it's funny I, I hear about people trying to come the to purpose mine just popped into my head yeah a couple decades ago which was to move others to action and so that's partly why wow. I'm in marketing I can motivate prospects and customers I can you know persuade others and I can also motivate staff and so coaching is you know, you've got to give people the direction. you just can't mm-hmm. set high expectations. I've heard that one before. I think that's a cop out. Well, mm-hmm. I want you 100x is good. I want 200x. but yeah, you've got you've got to empower people, you have to inspire them, you have to course correct them like hey, this mm-hmm. isn't working. Yeah. And um, you know so I think coaching is really essential for successful mm-hmm. CMOs and it doesn't just start with your direct reports. I've got eight direct reports about you know 50 some folks here. Mm-hmm. At M-Burst. and so i talked to my directors like how are you coaching your staff how are you yeah, helping yeah. them reach their career path desired yeah. right and so yeah. it's got to go coaching has to go throughout all levels of the organization yeah
0: yeah and i think if you're at the top of that sort of pyramid as, as the cmo if you need to encourage that culture and give people permission to invest time and resources in developing their team right and you asking that question of your team then gives them permission to go go do that right
2: well, exactly, and it's not mm. like a banner review. I mean, some companies yeah. do twice a year, but it's like yeah. you should be coaching all the time. Mm. You know, those are coachable moments, right? So take yeah. advantage
0: of those. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So first is culture, second is coaching, and your third is?
2: It's campaigns. I mean, mm. a lot of times marketers, is sort of a black art in some cases. You know, you're yeah. judged by how you contribute to pipeline, which, of course, is, you know, is important. Mm. But um, in order to, to build pipeline and to build the category and to, you know, build differentiation you have to have campaigns that I've always felt you should build brand and generate demand together I, you know I was once at a company where the the, the CEO said here's another million dollars and, and you know I could have spent it just yes. on your brand awareness yes. but I figured if I could do brand awareness and increase the pipeline the sales my sales counterpart the CR would like me too yes. <laughs> yeah yeah. Just- yeah right so yeah. campaigns you have to you also i what i find is and when i came to imburse there was like four mm. sources of any significant leads we've got a dozen i don't right. know what the magic numbers is Is five is it, five, it 50 but certainly four wasn't it and so yeah. you want to have enough types of lead sources sometimes things will wax and wane they work really well and then you get diminishing returns and also you know campaigns that really have clarity i i learned after probably spending a billion dollars, you know, with eight <laughs> and so forth, that, you know, if you're relevant, uh, it's like the most important thing. Being distinct is good, but you've got to resonate with, mm-hmm. you know, customers don't want to buy your products. They want to solve their problems, right? So campaigns yeah. have clear, compelling value propositions yeah. that break mm-hmm. through. And then ultimately, if, you know, if you deliver business value mm-hmm. that the, the customer can measure, not you, that they can measure, then you're going to win.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and I think there's some straight talking right there. I mean, the fact that you're saying that, campaigns is that third C of yours there's no you know getting around the fact that we're here to build revenue right and and I also like the fact you're talking about building brand and generate demand together because obviously a great brand is a demand multiplier right in that anything you're doing marketing is supported by having a great brand if you're doing PPC or any activity right so I think it's really good that you've got got that going together as well
2: yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I just think that it, it, it lifts the tide, you know, mm-hmm. having awareness and, and also the, the the particular affinity towards that brand. You know, we work a lot here on our customers. Again, they're all, mm-hmm. there are a lot of C's out there and <laughs> become advocates, right? And they have to identify and, and, you know, our attributes, what we stand for, approachable, right. you know, friendly, caring, those types of things. We have to live yeah. that so, you're right. Yeah. Brands, it's got to be, you know, sort of uh infuse itself within your campaigns.
0: Right. So, we've done culture, we've done coaching, we've done campaigns. What's your fourth C?
2: Well, category. I mean, I started thinking about this back, and you and I mm. remember the Gartner days. You want to be in the <laughs> yeah. magic quadrant. What the hell are you going to do if you don't have a magic quadrant? Well, we're in right. a multi billion dollar market. There is no MQ. Right. You know, there's. Escapes. There's other ways to track our markets. I thought, well, let's try to evolve the category. And I started thinking yeah. about it. I, I arrived at Inverse about three years ago, so I'm you know, ways into this journey here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, well, you know, there's a competitor that owns this, uh, you know, has a pretty strong stake around spend management. And we had built some incredible insights to our analytics. And mm-hmm. it felt like anybody can just spend, but how do you, and anybody can manage spend, but how do you optimize spend? It became yeah. more important as, you know, companies were disrupted by COVID and now supply mm-hmm. chain, you know, in recession and whatever. And so what we uh, pivoted towards is spend optimization. It's really differentiated with our analytics and insights. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we help customers optimize spend. And by doing so, they increase their financial uh, resilience. I mean, every yeah. CFO loses sleep over how much they spend, and do they have visibility yeah. to spend? And yeah. can they pay vendors on time and collect you know, invoices on time. And so we do all that. And yes. I think category is so important for a marketer, because if you're just part of the category, you're not shaping it or reshaping it. And, yes. you know, you yeah, can yeah. get you know, pushed aside or asunder and not have control. We get a little more control over the, the yeah. dialogue by coming up with our own particular uh, yeah. uh, spin on, on the category.
0: Yeah, there's that book, isn't there? Play Bigger, which which is really about Um, how how you need to be the leader in your category where do you sit when it comes to category about I mean it always seems to me that vendors uh, in collusion with analysts are always trying to create new categories and new niches is that the advice you give to CMOs to read to if they can't redefine the category they're in create a new one or where, where are you on that one?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's a I think probably an ongoing debate. I, I, mm-hmm. I I've read play bigger, and I, you're right; it's yes. got some good ideas on that. And mm-hmm. I also think you know, building, uh, you know, a following is really critical to your mm-hmm. brand. In my early days, I've been mean, you know, I we had incredible brand affinity. I, I ran Norton Worldwide for Symantec, and you yeah. know, we had higher affinity than Microsoft at the time, anyway. Wow. And so I think, yeah, and just you know, you, you have to have enthusiastic followers, and you know, around your point of view. And uh, But you can't expect to win overnight. We track our brand at Emburst. I have 12 objective metrics to track brand momentum. Yeah. And, you know, something we can do internally with, you know, we obviously we use external sources, but we report mm-hmm. only internally. And, uh, you know, there are all these different dimensions from, you know, customer satisfaction to, you know, web visits to followers. Yeah. And so I think you just have to work all those things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and you try to build the category. And it's great if there's a, an actual category you can either fit in yeah. I've mostly been with disruptive challenger brands and that, that's yeah. that's fine. if you're the big dog you can only go down right so I mean <laughs> hold on to number one spot but I think it's more yeah. fun to be a disruptor
0: yeah no I agree so that's great so we've got the culture we've got the coaching we've got the campaigns we've got the category that we're in we're defining that and we're leading that and what's our fifth C
2: well it's courage I mean I again it could be consistency you know you know it it could be uh, a lot of different c's but to Mm -hmm. me and i learned this and i you know when you've been to see him one number of times and hopefully if you're self-reflective it's like i would have liked to have had taken more risk and had more courage and i've been asked before like you know what would you do differently right but i think the other reason i think courage is important you you know you've got to have the will and the skill of course but you also have the the fortitude and the energy Mm -hmm. uh to to take risks, to break out of a sea of sameness. And, you know, in marketing, it's a given somebody's going to criticize what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be a peer, it could be another stakeholder, it could be a board member. And, you know, that's obviously you need metrics, you need data, you need, you know, proof points and evidence. to say, Hey, this is why it's working and we're moving the needle or not. And so I think you have to stick to your guns. And, uh, you know, I remember I came up with this idea, you know, in it. And just try to verbify it, just to get people, hey, there's a better way. Don't just expense it and burst it. And one of our yeah. board advisors said, Well, if everybody starts using it, won't you be generic and, and lose uh you know lose value? So I don't think Google's lost any value by Google. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, if we become universal, that'll be we'll be a billion dollar yeah. company. That'll be a nice problem to have. So that was the end of yeah. that conversation. So I yeah. just stuck to the guns. I mean, I think I'm on to something and yeah. We've done social media campaigns, so that's just one example. We came up with yeah. the spend optimization uh, maturity model, and that's a, a real differentiator. And a lot of people are like you can't do that. Well, we have customers that love it now. So yeah, sometimes right. it just takes time. But again, that's courage, love you know, it. not backing down. You know, yeah. taking feedback, of course, and adapting, but sticking to your, uh, yeah. you know,
0: your yeah, no, I, I love that, but I mean. It, it sounds like you're fortunate enough to be in an environment where that, where that, where you've been able to do that, right? And I think sometimes you you need that C-suite support, don't you, to be courageous? And, and you do feel for the, the CMO that can't. Well, um, you know,
2: yeah. you, you're, you're exactly right. You know, look, I've been fortunate that I've mm. had, you know, sometimes I've had my office next to the CRO that I've always partnered yeah. well you know, Yeah. For- friends with C- CROs and, yeah. you know, and you know obviously CEOs those are two of the most critical CFOs you've got to maintain all these relationships in the C-suite yeah. Yeah. and uh, foster those and because you're going to need allies you'll need allies you know during yeah. budget battles during board yeah. battles yeah and uh so I think that that having that connection with the c-suite is is critical yeah.
0: well it sounds like um you go back to your first c which is culture right of, of doing that and i think if you you you've got to implement all these five c's equally haven't you culture coaching campaign because if you're doing the campaign the cro's on your side uh, category and and have the courage to to do those things and the the interesting is when you mentioned courage just then and it was something i was going to ask you about um it reminds me of um of drew neiser and he has that cat's nest uh, um framework, doesn't he? And the first one of those is courageous, isn't it? Courageous, artful. I can't remember the rest of it, but um, I've had him on the show and he talks about that, that that CMOs need to be courageous. And the reason why I want to bring it up with you is um, you're part of CMO huddles that, that he drives, but also in one of your other blog posts, you you mentioned how CMOs shouldn't go it alone. So how, and I know you're a mentor yourself, how important is it for CMOs to have a mentor?
2: I think it's it's critical. I mean, you think mm. about, I'm an athlete, I still play competitive, competitive tennis on the weekends and you know it's doing these things and and you know having a coach in your corner it could only help you because it's a lonely job to be a cmo and and you know who are you going to go to like to to challenge your ideas to give you new ideas to to tell you about lessons learned and you know bridges burned or whatever and so i find peer groups i've been a part of them since i was a cmo i got lucky i got invited to one long before there were the the cmo Mm -hmm. huddle it's great Mm -hmm. great guy and lots of good peers in that group among others and uh so i think coaching uh in mentors can help you especially early in your career because Mm -hmm. you know you can't just go to CEOs like i really don't know what i'm doing like i have no clue on this latest directive but you can go to your into your peers and your mentor and say like what are some options and you know i I think it's just don't go it alone is my advice again have peer groups or coaches or both
0: yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And I'm fortunate enough that I also um, coach uh, CMOs as well. And the thing I also, the, the reason why I think CMOs should have um, a coach or, or a mentor or just somebody to talk to is that last C of yours, which is courage, right? Is I think somebody else who's in the role can help hold you accountable to that, right? Is that, yeah, yeah, I'm right to hold this course, right? I'm right to fight this battle in the C-suite or make this case or whatever it is. Otherwise... Your little goldfish bowl and influencers are the other are the other senior senior members of the team who have their own agendas. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I need to I need to um, I mentioned Drew's cats thing then. I can't remember the TNS I should do, but I'll link to I'll link to all of Drew Neiser's stuff as well in the show notes. So if people are interested, they can go to that. So I'm afraid we're um, we're out of time there, Grant. I could I always enjoy talking to you. One of the things that I'd love to have you back on the show because you also talk about um, CMO pitfalls on your blog as well, which I'll encourage people to go and go and look at. And maybe you can come back and talk about those too, which is the flip side of this, I think. Yeah, I'd love to yeah no I'd love to have you back all right so um thank you very much for that one I have one final question um last time and it's our regular feature the Rockstar CMO swimming pool where we throw all the bullshit snake hole and overhype trends that plague this industry we love last time we had a great conversation because you chucked in attribution and I encourage people to go back and listen to that I really enjoyed that conversation um are you going to stick with attribution or do you have another candidate for our pool
2: well, why don't I just get even more controversial? Why not? Why don't we also throw along with attribution marketing lead volumes? Right, because um, I think they're they're meaningless.
0: Yeah,
2: you know, that obviously is controversial. Look, you've got to have leads to ultimately yeah. get yeah. opportunities and win. Yeah. But really, I think we progressed in, at least I feel most of my peers have, and having true we're in it together. You know, sales yeah. and marketing alignment. Right. Yeah. yeah. Integrated reporting. We do pipeline quality metrics. and yeah well we have volumes the more important thing is do we have a variety as i mentioned earlier in the show you know like we have a variety of lead sources so we're not just relying on you know pay-per-click right
0: yeah and
2: uh, do we have are we looking at you know uh speed you know velocity Mm -hmm. transition uh, Mm -hmm. the percentage that converts you know one segment versus another and and, you know the relative value of the operators. that ultimately the, the main metric really should be close one business i once had Somebody in my team said, Look at all these leads. I said, Well, what's the yeah. status? Well, I don't know. I handed them over to sales. Yeah, <laughs> well,
0: that, yeah.
2: It's yeah. clearly the wrong answer. And, and you yeah. know, if you deliver a superior customer experience and, uh, you know, create customers for life, that you can grow customers in addition to get new ones. So, anyway, I just mm-hmm. thought, why don't we just throw it, the MQL into...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it, I love it. And that's another great conversation about MQLs. And a couple of people actually on the show have, have questioned the validity of MQLs, shall I put it that way. And um, and also a lot of the time when you've set up these frameworks, you actually um, define behavior, don't you? You start rewarding people on the number of things that they do. And if it's not connected with the whole customer journey, you're, you're not really creating value, are you, with that kind of thing? You're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Anyway, Grant, thank you very much for your time. I know you're incredibly busy with these things. Um, when people want to get in touch with you, spin and they spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you?
2: <laughs> well, I've made it pretty easy. It's, <laughs> you know, so it's uh, if it's LinkedIn, it's Grantee Johnson one. If mm-hmm. it's Twitter, it's Grantee Johnson one. <laughs> it's you know, it's Grantee Johnson one. <laughs> I guess I got there first at gmail.com.
0: Splendid. All right. And uh, also your blog is cmomentor.com, which is a fantastic uh, URL. Before we hit record, I was complimenting you on snagging that. I was surprised that it was available. So cmomentor.com. And I look forward to having you back on the show. And we'll talk about the I've, I've almost made you commit on while I'm recording, which is probably the probably a bit naughty of me. But it would be great to talk about the CMO pitfalls uh, next in, in a couple of weeks on the show if you'll be available.
2: Yeah, that would be fun. As always, a pleasure connecting with Ian. Have yourself a great uh, weekend, and we'll look forward to connecting uh, later.
0: And you, Grant. Thank you very much for your time. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thank you, Grant. I will, of course, include all his links, including to his rather wonderful blog, in the show notes. And if you want to be a better marketer, I highly recommend hanging out with Grant. Right. It's the end of the week time to wind down in the rockstar cmo virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru robert rose chief troublemaker at the content advisory good evening robert what are you drinking oh i I, is that that, i that it's you I, I can
1: hardly hear you and see you. It's so dark in here. You got did you bring in a Goth heavy metal band from like Finland or something? Uh, it's It's so loud. I mean, you know, I know the Finnish really like their. Goth heavy metal bands, but boy, this one is really, really hardcore. Um, maybe we'll just get them to try and turn it down a little bit so we can have our, our conversation. I don't know what it is with you, the mariachi bands, and then all now a goth <laughs> Northern Europe band.
0: I'm just That's making a note great. of this for when I do the edit. So, goth heavy metal, sorry, a am from Finland. Very yes. specific there, but oh, I, I appreciate f- it. No,
1: you'll find, you'll find plenty of them, trust me. Uh, you'll, find, you'll find many of them. <laughs> they're they're so, easy to find.
0: <laughs> but anyway, if those guys can just pipe down a moment. Yes. Um, what is it that you are drinking this week?
1: Ah, well, this? we have a very special cocktail, a fall mm-hmm. cocktail, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, you know... This is one of those that you probably aren't, well, you're definitely not going to have the ingredients for. Um, Let's just be clear. But, uh, you know, I mean, what else is new? But most people at home won't have this either. But it is a lovely, wonderful cocktail if you want to go actually research it. So I'm calling it the World Traveler because I miss traveling the world. And it's, I'm calling it the World Traveler. And it's, it's got a little bit of, uh, so it starts with a little bit of what's called shengju, and it's a, that's what? a Korean rice wine, um, wow. and it's okay. absolutely delightful. Um, it's a little yes. bit like sake, but but it's not, it's mm-hmm. definitely, I mean, the Koreans will tell you it's definitely not like sake at all, but the right. it, it's, it is a rice wine, um, mm-hmm. and lovely, and it's got a little bit more of a fermented taste to it than, than, uh, than sake, so it's a little heavier, um, okay. than that, um, and then, so combine that with a little bit of vermouth di Torino. It's the Italian, uh, sweet vermouth, um, uh-huh. which we've had on this show before we've made with other mm. cocktails. Um, mm-hmm. and then a little bit, maybe a tablespoon or so of Amaro Nonino, which is of course another Italian liqueur, uh, oh. and add that in there with a little bit of orange bitters if you have it. Um, uh-huh. And that's kind of it. And if you want, this one wouldn't be over ice. This one would be shaken and chilled amazing. and then poured into a martini glass or something like that. And it's just uh, a delightful it fall. It tastes like fall. It's, it's just a wonderful kind of um I
0: don't, uh, I don't know where you get these things from Robert that sounds like an amazing cocktail that I've never heard of um well I'll attempt to make it <laughs> with the ingredients on my yeah. desktop bar Yeah. um I think you've you, you've already you know sensed that maybe I don't have any hope here so um I'm gonna go for the most um the most Scottish of uh of rice wines which everybody knows is uh, Hendrick's Luna Gin Ah, uh, yes. I shall have, have a have a little bit of that. And um I know you said no ice, but um I haven't got my shaker with me, so I'm just gonna stick some ice in a glass. Alright, alright. Pour in some of this this nice Hendrix. Oh that's quite a good measure. And then um and then the other ingredients from Italy. Um I'm going for um tonic, which is a <laughs> <Italian>. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, the most British um, of
1: liqueurs is tonic, I think. Yes, that's, it. that's
0: true, uh, yes. Or, or certainly of uh, things that you put in gin. And I shall have—I um, shall have that with—and and very similar flavours to what you've got there, because the nice people at Fever Tree have, have put some cucumber in it, so it's very nice. Ah, there let me try go. this cocktail. Mm. Mm. that is delicious, Robert. What do we call in these? i've been, I've been calling this
1: one the World Traveler because what I was nice. it was I was reminiscing about my travels in 2019 and mm-hmm. I remembered that it was this time of year that I went to Korea and had just wow. an amazing time. I love Korea so much um, yeah, spent yeah. some time in <laughs> Seoul and then of course I spent a little time in uh, milano um, and and spent yes. a little time there and so I was like, huh I wonder if there's anything that would mix those two cultures into a cocktail. Wow. And, and I came up with and this there thing.
0: There you go. And it's, yeah. Oh, it's your own invention. It's delicious. Well, well I, mean, I don't know that I'm it's my sure. own
1: invention. I did find there were there are, you know, when I started looking uh, up the different brands of Shenzhou, uh I, sure. I did find that there are many cocktails out there with it, um, some of which mix in bitters and some of which mix in some other things. But mm-hmm. um, the, the the Italian liqueur part, I think, was... A little different
0: you <laughs> yeah, so well look out for those so where would we have this this uh, great blend of career and italy in a glass uh you know i
1: think we have to go to seoul um mm. I, I don't know if you've ever been um Never, no. but it is uh an absolutely amazing thriving very alive city um mm-hmm. and you know it's a little bit like los angeles in the sense that it's so spread out um yeah. and so it's you know i mean it's you forget how big it really is until you sort of fly in yeah. um, and it's just yeah. giant but there are some yeah. you know amazing parts of the city where you can sit there's this one spot there's a restaurant that sits on top mm-hmm. of this hill that overlooks the city And it's just an absolutely spectacular view of the entire, not the entire city because it's spread out so much, but a a good portion of the city. And you see the river and and it's just, Mm -hmm. it's unbelievable. I I very much like Seoul.
0: Wow, it's funny because um, you making the comparison with L.A. Because the last time I went to L.A., which is many, which is quite a few years ago, um, I was taken to a restaurant that sat on top of a hill that I could oversee. I could see over L.A., so it was like oh, very similar, very similar experience. Uh,
3: it so, is. Yes. But here's the
1: here's the difference when you're flying over yeah. Seoul. You know, when yeah. you fly over L.A., you you know, you sort of see the downtown area, and then you see the spread yeah. out of neighborhoods, right? Yeah. You see houses, yeah. and you know, and you know commercial buildings and you know all that sort of thing yes. when you fly over okay. Seoul it's like it's the big it, it, it's it's the big I mean other than Tokyo when I which I've also flown mm. over and has a similar kind yeah. of vibe it's like it's like downtown stretches to the horizon right it's just it's wow. skyscrapers after skyscrapers yeah. after skyscrapers wow. it's just just yeah. all this just just so wow. big and and, and sprawling yeah. but it's all big yeah. buildings it's all like giant downtown it's wow. it's amazing
0: yeah amazing.: yeah my, um, my daughters were quite fascinated, one, one of them in particular with, with Korea, and was learning Korean and planning to go one day, so it's, it sounds fascinating, and I look, I hope she, she gets to, to do that ambition. So we're in Korea, we're overlooking uh, Seoul. What um, are we going to be talking about over these wonderful world traveler drinks?
1: Oh, well. So I think we're going to talk about a little bit about Hollywood, actually, interestingly Mm -hmm. enough. Um, One of the things that seems to come up a lot when I talk to content marketing teams in particular is, you know, the number one question it seems these days is, what should we talk about? (laughs) Which Mm -hmm. I think is very interesting, Um, you know, because there is this there's this very interesting challenge to set a foundational idea and so it feels like ideas are hard to come by around what the content marketing team will talk about and here's the way a typical meeting will go right so you know the content marketing team gets a meeting together and they'll get a meeting together with the brand team the product team you know pr and they'll come together because they want, you know, they, you know, and they got their notebooks ready. They, you know, they got their pens ready. And they say, great, let's have an ideation or a brainstorming meeting about what content marketing should talk about. And so yeah. somebody from the demand gen team stands up and goes, I know what we'll do. We'll create a list of all the questions that buyers might have about our particular approach. And then the product marketing person stands up and goes, I love that idea. That's great. We could create articles answering all those questions. And then let's sprinkle in a little bit about how our products solve all those challenges. And then yeah. the brand marketing manager goes, okay, I like that, but how about this idea? Why don't we write some posts about our new brand mission and how our products mm-hmm. and services are really like helping solve climate change? And then the yeah. product marketing manager goes, great, that's fantastic. Then we could sprinkle in a, bit, a little bit about how our products solve that problem, right? And then, <laughs> and then someone yeah. from PR goes, wait a minute, I like all those ideas, but I have an idea. Let's write posts mm-hmm. that feature profiles of our executives and all of the, the thought leadership they're bringing to the market. And the brand marketing manager goes, great, that's a fantastic idea. And the product marketing manager goes, I love it. And then the executives could talk a little bit more about our product and how they solve challenges. <laughs> yeah. And so everybody goes, that was fantastic. The pizza arrives to the meeting. Everybody stands up and the content marketing people are sitting there with exactly zero notes in their notebook. And and the brand marketing manager turns with a big pizza, pizza in his mouth and goes, I don't know what you guys were so worried about. We got tons of things to talk about. It's like, no, <laughs> we got to find a bigger story. We have to find something that's more interesting than any of those yes. things if we really yeah. want to do things. And I have found that there's an, a process that showrunners for TV series and what a showrunner is, is someone who sort of is the leader of the team of a TV show. Right. So,
3: mm-hmm.
1: it, you know, in, in movies business, it might be called the producer. Um, uh, it's but in the uh, in in the TV business, it's typically called a showrunner, someone who is basically responsible for the vision, organization, and sort of management of the entire show. And mm-hmm. so these showrunners have a have a have an actual process here in Hollywood because they have a similar challenge, right, to content marketing yeah. teams, right? They've got directors and actors and production specialists mm-hmm. and all these things that have mm-hmm. to get aligned on how they're going to produce all these episodes. The process is basically one, plan it out and they'll sit in a room with their team and they'll plan out the entire season or multiple seasons in some cases of an, of a TV series, Mm -hmm. talking through each episode, where the arcs are, what the characters are going to be, what the settings are going to be, all those kinds of things so that they plan out all the episodes. Then the second step is once they have that, they create outlines for all of those episodes. And the reason they create those detailed outlines is to be able to communicate to the production specialists, to the directors, to, uh, you know, the casting directors, when they're going to need actors, when they're going to need, you know, on location places, when they're going to need special cameras, you know, all those kinds of things to be able to outline that thing. And then, and we talked a little bit about this last week, they create the content, not the packages. In other words, what they do then is they set that team off and they go there, go write the entire season of content and they'll write the entire, you know, scripts of all these things, but they don't go produce them all yet. They go write the entire so that they can make changes to episode one because of what happens in episode three, or they can make changes in episode nine because of what happened in episode four. And they get all that Mm -hmm. stuff aligned and all of the scripts written before they actually start feeding it into the production crew to start creating it over time and taking the time to do those three steps or at least two of those three steps can be a huge benefit to you as a content marketing team. Because now when that, Hey, let's just sprinkle in a little bit of product information comes up. You're going, no, no, no. The story doesn't call for that right now. This is what we're working on. This is what we have planned. And it's just more efficient for all, you know, all the parties involved. So it's a great way to start to think about how to plan out your content rather than sort of right. just suffering from well who else has an idea about what we should talk about
0: yeah yeah so who's the who would be the showrunner then in a in a in a content i mean last week we were talking about stakeholders and we were talking about the way that the the content team tends to be a production house um we're saying here is that, that we're going to drive the story who's who, who ha, how do you make that happen within your clients
1: yeah it's you know here's the thing it it is Mm -hmm. this is only applicable really Mm -hmm. i mean i'd like to think that this is applicable beyond a content team that you know that doesn't own some Mm -hmm. level of you know a channel in other words yeah most of the time, what I find is, is that there is a content. One of the things that the content team is responsible for is the blog or the resource mm-hmm. center or mm-hmm. the webinar program, or maybe all of those things. Right. Mm-hmm. And what we're really trying to figure out is what the larger story is across multiple channels. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it goes beyond sort of thinking about it from a, okay, are what are we doing? Are we writing blog posts Are we writing white papers, et cetera? What I want to be able to do is to say, here is the bigger, broader foundational story we want to tell over the next nine months. Episode one is going to be a blog post. Episode two is going to be a webinar, a white paper, and a blog post. Episode three is going to, and so on and so forth. So that when you're putting forward your calendar, what you're putting forward is, yes, elements that will ultimately be containers or digital assets if you Mm. will but it is a calendar of production and a calendar of content right Right. we're going to write all this content and it's going to be done in march but these are for digital assets that we're not going to use until june july august september etc that's that's the general idea is if we can start planning that far out well it gives Mm. us so much more time to create bigger more meaningful pieces and account for all the reactive pieces that we have to do right where all those things that we're marketing goes oh my god hair on fire we've got to write this post or we've got to write Mm -hmm. this article or Mm -hmm. we need to write this social post or whatever it is because we've got the foundational story planned out it gives us a lot more bandwidth to be able to handle the reactive sort of triage stuff that we have to take care of
0: yeah yeah also, I think if everybody agrees on what the story is and what the main points are, you want to get out of that story. You can point at that as the framework. And if somebody's got some other idea, at least you've got a point of discussion. Haven't you to say, "I'm not that's sure right. that supports our our content story, our content mission." There's oh, a standard. Really yeah, there's a standard. Yeah, yeah.
1: And you can't yeah, you yeah. can't improve on a standard if there isn't a standard
0: exactly 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 and also you can't say I mean it might be you say yes and we will do it but at least you've had that conversation and everybody's aware that this is a distraction from your content strategy right so yes very good Uh, so we all need a showrunner I love that Um, and then um, and you're you're based in Hollywood Um, any writing that happens in Hollywood (laughs) that you can recommend (laughs) These are getting more tenuous. (laughs) (laughs) No. A website, perhaps. Yeah. (laughs) There's none. (laughs) All right. How about yours? (laughs) (laughs) Where would people find your website?
1: Oh, they'll find us hanging around this little place called contentadvisory.net where we service all of our wonderful clients.
0: I love it. All right. And and when people spin the dial on the interface, where are they going to find you?
1: Well, they'll find me on Twitter these days. They'll find me on LinkedIn Mm. these days. And also there's our little community. If you're in the world of customer experience, come check us out at uh, Mm. experienceadvisors.io. It's a fun little community that we've got going on now where we've got a little newsletter. We've got a great community talking about all these kinds of topics on a daily basis in our little Discord community um it's it's uh it's it's turning out to be really interesting and fun
0: yes it is and i always include a link to it in the show notes so that's where folks can find it as well as your links and um i and yes and and more importantly for me uh will i find you in the bar next week
1: you will indeed hopefully with no finished to, goth bands around
0: it. <laughs> god knows what you'll come up with next week right? But all right
1: <laughs> i'll see
0: you then Thank you Robert and at the beginning there you heard a little bit of Finland's lordy and hard rock hallelujah that actually won the Eurovision Song Contest in 2006. That's a wrap on episode 135 of the Rockstar CMO f Martin podcast. I've been your host Ian Truscott. Thanks to Jeff, Grant and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello to them. I'll include all their links in the show notes which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.com where you can also find all our previous episodes. Uh, most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcast and jukebox, selecting our track and diving along with us. So, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Please let us know on the socials or drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, I learn all about DAOs and Web3 from Don Richmond, co-founder of Filmio. Jeff will be back in the studio and Robert will be back in the bar. Until then, have a great week and I hope you'll again join us next week on Rockstar CMO FM.